absolute show. It's fantastic to have your company this Wednesday, the or Thursday, should I say? I'm already thinking about yesterday's show, this Thursday, the sixth of August. I'm your host, Lucy Delich. It's so great to have you joining us here today, and it's a very welcome back to my co-host over at SBS Page Unix Style, aka Stolich. Stolich, you were missed yesterday, but I tell you what, it's good to have you back, son. It's good to be back, and I'm uh, very excited uh, to chat with two great guests and uh, a lot of A-League content. Wow, haven't we got a massive show lined up for today? Always plenty of talking points in the A-League, and I'm absolutely delighted to welcome along the great Neil Kilkenny joining us all the way from his hotel room in his hub, uh, trapped with the, the, the Perth Glory side throughout this COVID-19 period. Killer, it's so great to see you, mate. How are you holding up? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm um, looking forward to, to the show. Yeah, we've got plenty to talk through. And, um, you know, this man needs no introductions. For those of us in the media, we all know this man very, very well, but he is none other than the legendary Ray Gatt. Gatti, you know what? I said to you before we came on air before that you and I have disagreed over many, many things over the years, but one thing I've always respected and admired about you is that you are still a gentleman throughout it all and that we can continue to agree to disagree. Uh, you're a top guy. Uh, we were very sad to lose you from the journalism world, but you're still very active on Twitter. So it's almost as if you never left. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks, Lucy. How are you, Nick? Um, I think you're a bit rough there. I don't think we've all uh, disagreed on a whole lot of things, maybe one or two <laughs> issues, Lucy. But uh, yeah, no, still active on Twitter. We've got to keep the brain moving. And yeah, when you're involved in football for so long, you can't actually break away from it totally. So you've got to have some sort of connection. So no, it's, it's enjoyable. No, that's good to hear, Gaddy, and we'll get to you shortly. But I want to cross over to you, Killer, um, and just sort of give us an insight into how things are going throughout this isolation period. It's just been a funny old season. It's been a funny old year. Everyone is feeling it at the moment. But how have you been taking uh, everything in your stride? Uh, it's been tough for everyone, I think. So, um, But we're really looking forward to the, the remaining games. Obviously, we've had three games now, and... We got a good win the other night, so we're really looking forward to the next game. And talk us through that win that you had, because prior to that, I mean, it was a really rough result against Adelaide, and I'm sure that Popper would have been absolutely cooking, especially given how many goals you popped and how defensively sound uh, a Tony Popovich team ordinarily is. But the, the, the match against Western Sydney as well, I mean, that was a very important result for you guys. Massive, massive, um, massive result for us. We uh, played really well. I felt something against Wellington. Well, we dominated the game possession-wise, but um, individual mistakes, you know. And obviously, Adelaide wasn't a very good performance from everyone at the club. So we needed to put a performance out, and luckily, we did. Who got? Who just got a call? Sorry, that was me. Please, <laughs> <laughs> what's going on? I just got some grief from everyone about, you know, you keep getting all these text messages when we're when we're on Can you turn that off? And then I said, yeah, yeah, no worries. I'll do my best. And then my phone started ringing. Sorry, everybody. Um, I'll call the cake lady back. But uh, I, I want to sort of address that whole period with you, Killer, um, leading up to the season actually resuming and what it was like in that lockdown period. I know it varied from player to player. A lot of players saying that, you know, they, they didn't really kick a ball. They weren't focusing too much on the football side of things. But what were you doing during that period? I was looking after my two kids. Um, I obviously got three young children, but I was, um, again, like uh, 
11 year old 12 year old boy going down to the park every day for a couple of hours kicking the ball against the wall uh, trying to keep my fitness because we knew that the league was going to come back and and when it come back we needed to be ready so um you know you have to put your professional head on and make sure you're ready to go and um that's what i did um like i said i was like a young kid again and um it took me back to the day took my little boy down there and he took more of an interest in football too so um and i can see now he's taken a bit more interest because he sees what dad does every day so yeah it, it was good time to spend some time with the family as well stolich some questions for Killer. Uh, yeah, now I just wanted to ask uh, what it's like working with someone like uh, Nick D'Agostino. Uh, you know, he's an exciting young player from an Aussie perspective, but, you know, Popovich has been a bit critical of him as well on, on the other hand. So what's it like, uh, what's he like, you know, in training and stuff like that? What can we expect from him in the coming years? Yeah, Nick's definitely got um, a lot of potential, you know. Um, we've seen that through over moments throughout his his. Uh, young career but obviously he needs to put them their moments together more often he's definitely got the ability and you know with experience he'll get that but um hopefully you know he can keep progressing keep training hard and keep looking after himself and if he does that and takes on the advice that the management give him you know he'll, he'll go a long way in the game gaddy over to you some questions yeah. for yeah, uh, Neil, um, what was the feeling like when um, it was announced that Diego Castro wasn't coming back? And how did the players feel when, you know, you see stuff like, um, you know, Perth aren't the same team without without Diego? Yeah, how did the players react to that? So we know that Diego's a good a good player. We know that, um, uh, you know, it's every, we, we knew that there was a possibility that he might he might make that decision and that was his decision um all the players uh, ready to go uh, but i obviously last season he didn't play a, a vast majority of the games a lot of people don't you know um haven't really looked into that situation in the sense of um, i think he missed a lot of games at the start of the last season and we went on an incredible run and he come back to the team as well and he come into a um a team that was winning a lot of games so we know he's a good player uh like i said we've always welcomed good players at the club but if a player doesn't want to obviously you know he doesn't want to come for health reasons that's a decision but we've got to move on and we've got to look forward to the next couple of games and and hopefully you know hopefully we can put now a run together and um go into the finals um with a, a few a few wins under our belt a mm. um, couple of questions coming in from our fans here today, and I want to make mention uh, to all of them tuning in here. It's fabulous to have your company, of course. You know, we are coming to you live on Wednesdays and Thursdays for our dedicated A-League program, so it's great to have your company. Uh, Michael Ong, one of our regular guests here on both Wednesdays and Thursdays. Michael, great to have your company, mate. Thanks for your question. Uh, Kilkenny, how did you celebrate Leeds promotion to the Premier League? Oh, yeah, no, well, I, I obviously didn't celebrate because I was here, but uh, we were all talking about it um, here in, in the hotel, but it's fantastic for the club. Um, yeah, it's a club that should be in the Premier League with the fan base and and, and now they're, you know, they're luckily, luckily back in there and um, it's fantastic to see them all, all back in, uh, the club back in there because, like I said, I really enjoyed my time there and... Um, you know, hopefully one day I'll be back there in a different aspect. Mm, Matt McGear also wants to know, how good was your time at Leeds, Neil? 
Sorry, say that again, Lucy. I didn't hear that. Uh, Matt McGeer has also written in and asked, how good was your time at Leeds? Well, yeah, no, it was it was a it was a fantastic uh, time. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, looking back now, the the club uh, the the club was actually bigger than I thought till I walked through the doors and then everywhere I went. Um, even when I come back to Australia, I had uh, Leeds fans uh, recognizing me. So um, mm -hmm. it was probably one of the highlights of, of my career so far to to play for such a massive club. You said you'd like to end up back there in some capacity. Does that mean that coaching is something that you're considering down the line after you finish up playing? 100% um, is something that I've, from probably the age of 24, that I've got a real passion, uh, passion of trying to, you know, help help the game progress, especially in this country. And, um, and I've got ambitions to go into coaching and management when I finish my career, but... If I look after my body, hopefully I've got plenty more years to come and um, and that's what I'm focused on now to uh, to carry on playing as long as I can and then obviously after 100% I want to definitely go into coaching. Before I hand back over to Stolich, um, you know, I've always been such a big fan of yours. From the moment you stepped foot um, on the pitches here in the A-League, uh, I think you have so much to offer. You're such a quality footballer, but you're a top, top guy off the park as well. Um, I think everyone can agree with me when I say that I was really shocked with the situation that unfolded um, under Warren Joyce whilst you were with Melbourne City. I think a lot of City fans still very gutted that you left. Um, but obviously much to the delight of Perth Glory fans because you've been such a star for them. Uh, once again, that's no surprise, of course. But can you give us some insight into just what happened at City Kill and, and why that all went south? Because from the outside looking in, it seemed as though just things had soured between you and Joyce, but we, we, we never really knew what happened there. Uh, yeah, he obviously, I really enjoyed my time at Melbourne City. I loved it there. and But that has, that's what happens. Managers come in. They've got a different way of thinking. Um, he had very um, old school, probably English way of thinking the way the game should be played. And I wasn't probably the only player that, you know, he, he really didn't take a fancy to, which is, you know, fine. That's, that's, that's football. You have to move on. There was uh, quite a lot of us, probably about six or seven of more the more experienced players. Um, but yeah, it was a tough time because I, you know, my family was settled there. The reason why I come back to Australia to play was because I wanted to play at a certain brand of football, which um, Melbourne City sold to me. So it was disappointing, but um, I've I've come to Perth and I really enjoy it. My family have settled really well, and we're playing a really good brand of football here as well. Uh, you know, I, one of the reasons why I did want I left England at thirty was because I had enough of uh, second balls and putting the ball in the channel and and things mm -hmm. like that. I wanted to a team that I wanted to play in teams that wanted to play through the thirds. Um, I was lucky enough to do that at Melbourne City, and maybe they went against that to a certain extent when, you know, the second year that it was there when when Ryan Joyce come in. But um, now I'm here at Perth. We're playing through the third under uh, Tony Popovich, and he's a fantastic manager. And I've, I've really enjoyed working under him. And he, uh, he, I've learned. I've heard, I want to go into coaching, but I've learned a, a lot under him, and uh, I'm taking a lot on board off the pitch as well as on it. Village. Mm. 
Yeah, uh, you know, we really appreciate everyone writing in. We especially appreciate when uh, A-League players write in, including uh, your teammates. Alex Grant, 94, asks, did you get your room cleaned? Me and Rocket are still waiting on ours. <laughs> uh, we're in the hub. We only get, to, uh, I think it's our room cleaned twice, um, twice, a, uh, twice a week. But um, I had mine cleaned yesterday, guys. But um, It's but looking very nice. Oh, cheers. It's up to the responsibility of the person in the room to look after the room as well. So, um, you know, uh, it's up to them to look after the room. I look after my room, as you can see, my bed's nicely made. I do that every morning, and that's one of my routines at home, and I've carried that on here. Would you suggest that Alex maybe doesn't keep the same cleanliness standards that you do? Oh, no, it's his decision. I'm not saying that. I haven't really been in their room that much, but um, that's his decision. If he wants his bed made, maybe you should make it yourself. Daddy, can for Killer before we let him go shortly? Very quickly, you mentioned Tony Popovich. You've played under a lot of managers over in England. You know, where, where, where does he rate? And, and could, he, could he coach overseas, obviously? Hundred percent, yeah. Uh, fantastic manager. Very hard on the players. Very demanding, um, but it's good. It's, but realistic with it, you know. Expects a lot from you because he has a lot of confidence in his players. Um, and I've really enjoyed it because I feel as though, um, you know, every day on training you have to be training properly. There's no mucking about which I like as soon as you step over that white line, whether it's training or games, you have to go out there and train and, and play properly. Um, you know, I, I come across with maybe a, a certain perception on, on the TV or on the pitch, but um, that's when I walk over the white line, I want to win. I've got that mentality and he certainly got that. Um, but I'm a different person on it, uh, off it. And um, I think, I think he is as well. He's, he's a great person. Um, really caring for his players and looks out for his players. So um, I've really enjoyed working under him and hopefully I can continue for a long time yet. Mm. Um, what are you feeling about coming into the final series now, Killer? Uh, and you know, what the, the conditions are? Because I expected, to be honest, and this is me being very frank, I expected Perth to be a lot stronger this season, especially off the back of the, the last campaign. But how do you think you'll go in the finals and, and, and where do you expect to cause some real damage? Well, we'll be very, I think we'll be organised as, as you see, the manager sets up, sets us up really well and strong. Um, and we, we, we were disappointed to not win the final last year. Um, and we've been disappointed, um, obviously, against Adelaide this year uh, in the last couple of games. But hopefully, like I said, now we can put um, some run, uh, runs together, results together, and hopefully we can, we can go all the way to the final. We want to win it. Yeah, and um, hopefully we can do so. So your final two games and Western United. Uh, I mean, realistically, that's a, a solid run-in given the form that Victory have been in and Western United very up and down. Uh, but who do you think your biggest rivals will be coming into the final series? Well, I think obviously Sydney have been um, the, best, the best team um, Obviously, consistently, probably three of the last four years, I felt we were by quite far last season the best team football-wise. 
Um, but yeah, no, definitely you can't look past Sydney in the sense of um, no matter what uh, this season they've been uh, brilliant. They've been consistently the best team. So, but yeah, there's Melbourne City have put on. Um, they've been well organised, played some really good football as well. So they'll be up there. But we're we're really looking forward to. It. We respect them, but you know we we we're going into games when we do play them to expect to beat them, and hopefully we can do. Hmm. Stolich, some final questions for Yeah, um, Neil, someone has written in and has asked, can you ask Neil if he has forgiven Graham Arnold after he treated him in the Oli Roos? Uh, I actually didn't know that there was an issue there. Could you expand on that or? Uh, you know, um, yeah, oh, of course, you know, he's, he's, he's done really well in his management career. Um you know, so, but, um, yeah, I went, obviously went to the Olympics. Um, I was disappointed not to play that, um, more, more game time than I did. And I got asked the question and I, I answered the, the question, honestly, if I'm honest. And, um, you know, maybe that's been held against me over the years, but he's a fantastic manager and we speak now and I spoke, congratulated him many times um, when he was done a fantastic job for Sydney FC obviously making them such a strong team of well oiled machine so um yeah so obviously we speak I've got great respect for him and um fair play to him and he's he's doing quite a good job at, uh, with the Australian national team too now so um yeah there you go. That clears that one. It's just been a real pleasure to, to catch up with you during what's been, as I said, a really strange period for everyone across Australian football. We wish you all the very best with Perth in your final games coming up to the final series, and we hope that we can wrap up the competition expediently, and we look forward to seeing more of you on the park, mate. Thank you so much for making the time today. Thanks, Good Neil. Idea. Appreciate it. Good luck, Neil. Good luck. Yes, uh, big thanks to Killer there and thank you to everybody uh, writing your questions in. It's great to have your company. As I said, uh, joining us here is another special guest and that's the legendary Ray Gatt. Gatty, it's over to you now. It's all about you. Um, we said earlier that it's been great to see that you're still active across Twitter, but has it been strange in retirement? I mean, moving away from the journalistic scene, what have you been doing with your time and does it feel quite surreal to be, I guess, on the periphery now? Yeah, it is a little strange. I've got got to admit, but also I've got to admit, unfortunately, I'm not missing. I'm not missing journalism, to be honest. So I'm, I mean, actually enjoying sitting down and watching a game and not having to worry about filing mm. on deadline. You know, the score's nil nil, five minutes to go, to go, and you know, yeah, you, know, you might have to change your story if someone scores a goal, and you know, there's two minutes to deadline. So you know, I don't. I certainly don't miss that aspect of it. I, I do miss probably the day to day uh, interacting with players and coaches and, and, and media friends, you know, like you guys and whatever. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. I mean, I am enjoying retirement, I've got to admit. You know, I've, I've, I've done my time, I think, 47 years as a journo. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a pretty good inning. So, yeah, it's time to relax and, uh, and enjoy. Pretty good is putting it mildly. I mean, 47 years, that is an incredible spell. Um, can you run, run us through some of the highlights for you, Gaddy? I mean, I'm sure there'd be many. What really stood out to you? Oh, Lucy, so so many. Look, I think probably one of the first highlights is, and I was wasn't actually writing about football at the time. Is nineteen seventy four, the soccer is making the World Cup final there. You know, and watching um, in nineteen seventy three, Jimmy Mackay score that 
fantastic goal against South Korea that got us into the World Cup for the first time ever. You know, that will always stand out for me. And then, you know, later on getting to meet Rally Rassage and actually to become very, very good friends with him and, you know, just and, and through extension becoming friends with a lot of the 74 Socceroos who regard me as a little bit of family, which you know, I'm very proud of. So, yeah, that's probably been the biggest hi highlight for me. And obviously 2006, you know, going to Germany and covering my first World Cup with the Socceroos, that, that mm. was brilliant. That will stand out. But, yeah, so so many good memories. Uh, getting to interview some fantastic people like you know, Kevin Keegan, Pelé, Stands out. I interviewed him a couple of times, and yeah, uh, so Alex Ferguson and George Best, and yeah, the list is endless. And yeah, that 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 sort of stuff will stay with me. What about the lowlights? Before I throw over to Stolich for some questions, I mean, what are some of the things that you kind of shake your head and you think, oh man, I wish I wasn't a part of that time in Australian football? Uh, I'll look probably that uh, Senate inquiry in the early, early nineties. That, that wasn't a good time for the game, but yeah, maybe some of the riots we saw. You know, but that that didn't stand out. But probably the worst thing is that you know, as a game, we we take a step forward and then three step back. Three steps back, and you know, as a football community, we've never been united, never been together as one. And you know, I long for the days when we can all be on the same page, sing from the same hymn book, and you know, just be just enjoy the game and um, you know, not have football politics and egos and self interests, you know, infiltrate the, infil infiltrate the sport. You know, just yeah, that, that's probably the thing I hate most about it. Yeah, Gaddy, obviously you're kind of a legend of uh, football media. I wondered, you know, right now there's a lot of changes in the air, you know, people losing their job, some people moving on uh, by their own choice. Uh, you know, there's talk of creating, you know, an uh, A-League a Netflix-style thing, big, big changes in football media. I wondered what your thoughts have been on all that as someone who's kind of seen it all over the years and, and where you think the future is going to be and, and any advice you might have for some younger journos coming through. Yeah, look, Nick, it's a very, very tough time, isn't it? The last you know, tw 12 months, I mean, uh, even longer, we lost um, Mike Cockrell, the late Mike Cockrell, obviously. Yeah, that was a huge loss for our for journalism or football journalism in this country. And then, you know, obviously I, I retired and then there was all the redundancies at, at News Limited. So, that you know, that's made it very, very hard for, for the sport. And um, I do have fears in terms of the football coverage. It's, it's still good that there are guys like Mick Lynch and... Um, Vince Regeri and Don Bossi and a young guy called Joe Barton at News and Marco Monteverdi is still around, so they're still carrying the flag. And, um, I do worry about where, where we're heading football coverage-wise. I, I do hope it picks up. I do like the idea of, um, you know, the game taking hold of its own media rights into, you know, and, and, and getting the message out there through their own own sources. Uh, you know, that, as you say, Netflix-type style of thing, which would be which would be Great. Um, there's obviously a lot of good young talented journos out there as well. Um, you know, I've, I've had contact with a lot of them. But yeah, I'm I'm humble too that a lot of them contact me and ask for advice and and whatever. And I'm always happy to give that. So you know, if there's anyone out there who wants to reach out, I'm more than happy to give that advice. Yeah. I might be a bit firm in the fact that I say that maybe they should try and choose another career path <laughs> than journalism because yeah, it's a, it's a tough gig, but. I'm also one that would never, ever, you know, tell someone not to follow their dream. So if they want to follow football journalism, then then go for it. And I'm around if they want want some help. 
Oh, that's great advice, uh, Gaddy. Uh, Nadia D. Tenace, one of our regular fans here on our World Game Lives across both the Wednesday and Thursday shows. Great to have your company once again, Nadia. She said, I'd love to watch your interviews in a best of Gaddy. Who did you <laughs> feel? Who did you feel was probably, you know, right up there in terms of a compelling interview and, and a great chat? Oh, that, that's that's a hard one. Look, I, I really enjoyed interviewing Pele. I thought that, you know, just because he, he was one of my football heroes. So, you know, me watching him play was un- unbelievable. So yeah, he would be one. Um, look, Stephen Gerrard, obviously being a Liverpool fan, Lucy, I mean, he, he was something different when they came out here. I had four minutes with him, but it was a great four minutes. I had the Liverpool media guy looking over my shoulder and saying, you've only got four minutes and you count one minute. Two minutes. You've only got two wow. minutes left. So, you know, and you're trying to get in as many questions as you can. But, uh, yeah, look, Kevin Keegan was brilliant. George Best, um, that was a really enjoyable interview with him. He came out here several times and actually played out here. So, oh, look, there's, there's so many to, to rattle off. Mm. Um, one topic of conversation, I mean, we've spoken about the whole host of changes that we're seeing throughout Australian football and are probably still yet to see, but uh, something that you and I disagree on, Gaddy, and I'd love to get into this particular talking point, and it's about the potential switch to winter. Uh, you're pretty firm in your stance on it and you think it basically would represent the death of the sport. And I know that a lot of people have shared that view. In fact, I used to be on your side of the fence. Um, and I was some months ago, uh, but I, I had a real change of heart because I thought, you know, what have we got to lose in Australia now? And for me, I think one of the, the key sticking points in this argument uh, is basically that we need to align the game. We need to start strengthening our relationships with the Asian Football Confederation. We need football in Australia to be aligned. That's where my view has always come from. And I'm a big fan of, you know, seeing the players who are thoroughly enjoying uh, playing throughout this winter period and the quality of football that it's produced. But you are against the idea. Tell us why. Yeah. Lucy, firstly, I would say, I'll say I wouldn't think it'd be the death of the game because our game is so uh, resolute and you know, we've had so many bad times and we've always survived and we will survive in the future and hopefully it will get stronger. But, yeah, look, um, I was around when we had winter football and to mm. me it was just it just didn't work. Um, you know, the, the grounds, the level of the grounds, uh, having to compete against other, other codes as well. It's it's a really really tough call. Summer football to me has been has been terrific, and we weren't complaining about the standard of football or summer football a few years ago when the crowds were great. I mean, we got sixty two thousand at a Sydney derby, a record crowd for an A League game in the middle of summer. Uh, in the know, evening, Daddy, that was played in the evening time when you know you've got yeah, a bit of dip in temperature. Yeah, I, yeah I, I agree with that point, and I, I'll, I'll preface this by saying that any summer football, there should be no games played up before 7 o'clock. Mm. And I think that, that would help. But, I mean, you know, this, this issue about, uh, you know, we'll get a better standard of football, I don't know about that. We'll be sharing grounds with other sports. Uh, Bankwest Stadium, I mean, they'll have rugby, they'll have rugby league and, and we'll have soccer there as well. And, you know, Jubilee Stadium, the, the new uh, Sydney football stadium. We've got to share it with other codes in the middle of winter. Imagine if we have a bad winter. And also, look, I... <laughs> I'm doing this for selfish reasons too. I prefer to be at a game in shorts, have it with a beer in one hand and a pie in the other hand and not worried about getting wet and getting cold or getting pneumonia. 
Well, you're a bogan, aren't you? That's why we love you, Gaddy. <laughs> well, well, tell me who wouldn't, who who doesn't love that? I mean, also the other issue is, you know, I get that we've got to align with all everything, you know, grassroots all the way up, Asian football. Let's not forget, Saturday, so Saturday morning, parents have got two or three kids are playing all different sports, uh, you know, netball, basketball, soccer, whatever. The, their mornings will be taken up, taking their kids everywhere, doing football, you know. It'll be cold. Then you know they've got to get home and maybe get ready and go to a game. You know, it's a, it's a very long day for them as, as well. So, look, I I can see where everyone's coming from, and I I can I, I can understand it. But give me summer football anytime. George Marchetti writing in uh, via Facebook. Great to have your company, George. Thanks for writing in. He said, I agree totally with you, Gaddy. The A-League is a vibrant league and spring slash summer slash autumn is best for reasons Gat has just mentioned. It's a con to say that football has to be aligned just to get a second division. No thanks. Have more evening games. I guess I must, I must buy George a beer. <laughs> yeah, with your knee pie and your thong and shorts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We'll sit together. I'll shout him all night if he wants. <laughs> I mean, I think we do have to be aligned. I don't necessarily think it is a con. I think that's been one of the, the greatest um, crimes, I guess, in Australian football, Gaddy, and, and, and I'll pose this to you also, Stolich, to get your views, is that we are so fractured as a game when it comes to our opinions, when it comes to our competitions and the fact that we, you know, we really are missing opportunities to when we think down the path about, okay, if we are looking to establish the national second division, how do we expect that to work? Will that align with the just the A-League or do we want that to align with all of the pathways? I think that's been one of my issues is that we're not creating a streamlined process to be able to allow for players to, to aspire to go from the next level, you know, looking up um, and have it be in a fluid and consistent sort of system. I think that's one of the issues that I have, Gaddy. But also, Stolich, what are your views? Yeah, I mean, I think there are some definite good points uh, that Gaddy raises. And that's the thing. I think uh, with summer, you're going to have trade-offs. With winter, you're going to have trade-offs. And you're right about, like, pitch availability. So that's, that's going to be a big thing. But then if you think about some of the pitches because it's so hot and dry, they can be quite hard. And, you know, you, you can have quite poor games because of the conditions. So wherever we play, there's always going to be trade-offs. And there's always going to be good games and bad games in summer, in winter. So, we, we you know, we kind of got to be careful thinking that, Either one is going to be a silver bullet, but yeah, I think um, I think it's a good point that you raise as well, Lucy, about the fact that you know the alignment. I think you're not only do you want to create a second division, you want to create a full pyramid so that someone can get from a, a regional division to the second division, of course, because then you're going to have the same complaints about the teams that are in the second division. So uh, it, it's something that we have to look at. But I think the early signs of winter football, if you seem to, if you talk to a lot of the players, they seem to prefer it. Um, it's hard to gauge whether the fans prefer it yet because we haven't really been able to attend in any great numbers. Um, so that will be interesting to see with crowds and also TV ratings and, and, you know, stream ratings and all that kind of stuff. We'll have to kind of have a bigger sample to say whether it's been a success or not. But so far, I've really liked the A-League being in winter. Uh, I feel like the games have been of a higher quality. I don't know, you know, we don't really have data to back that up yet. There's no data on whether, you know, players have been able to run more or, or late goals and late chances and all that kind of stuff. But I've really enjoyed it. I've also really enjoyed games being on every night. You know, it's nice to know that you can just flick it on and start. And I think that's something, for example, that the Big Bash had in summer. There was a success, a model of success, was that every night it, you, cricket fans knew they could just turn on the TV. There would be a Big Bash game. They didn't necessarily know who was playing, or but they just knew they were going to get, you know, entertainment. And that's what I think the A-League can do as well.
Yeah, mm. Nick, in terms of the quality of the football, I agree with you. It's been, it's been terrific, but I just wonder how much of a factor it is that, you know, the players are out for so long, so now that they've come back and they're going to play in a six-week period, so they're just throwing everything they can into just this six-week period. So, you know, they're happy to be playing football again. How would it be in the grind of a, you know, 30-game season? You know, how would the standard be? The grind of a 30-game season in the middle of winter, you know, that's... That's that's what I'd like to know. It's a good question. And, that, and I guess this is the thing. We're never really going to know until we do it. And then, you know, yeah. I, I'd be very interested to know from FFA's point of view or the A-League club's yeah. point of view, what are their measures of success if we move to winter? What kind of crowds are they expecting? Yeah. What kind of pitch quality are they expecting? Um, so, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be very interesting. But, you know, yeah. I'd be interested to see what the fans say as well. Yeah, one last thing. In terms of winter, I, the one concession I would make in, my, in the way I feel is that in terms of the second division, which would then bring promotion and relegation. You know, if, if, it, if it's to make uh, a success of the second division, allow us uh, second division to work and function properly, then, then maybe I'd be, you know, I could make a concession in that regard for winter football because we absolutely need a second division and we certainly need promotion and relegation. I think when it comes to the pick up on your earlier points about the grind of a winter competition, I mean, I think the grind of a summer competition is, is far more taxing on a player's body, their recovery. You know, I mean, how many times, Gaddy, we've seen games, and a lot of this comes down to broadcast rights, as you'd know very well. Um, they're very reluctant to reschedule matches because of, you know, their existing yep. contract agreements, but also the, the you know, the, the content slate that they have on that particular day and time. Uh, you know, so many Perth matches as well um, scheduled earlier on in the day, unfortunately. And you've got players competing in 40-degree heat. I mean, I've spoken to many of them over the years, as I'm sure you would have, yeah. and some of them have conceded to me that they've, they've been vomiting excessively, they've been unwell, they've lost a lot of weight because it really is taxing to compete in conditions like this for any athlete. It doesn't matter how fit you are. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's one of the concerns that I have around it. Um, and, and so many, I guess so many valid points for both arguments, um, whichever side of the fence that you do sit on when it comes to this. But I'm at the point where I've realised I think something needs to change. And when it comes to stadia availability and the quality of the pitches, that obviously has to come first and foremost, because we want quality playing services for our players that are also, you know, going to be suitable for their welfare. But I, I wonder if potentially moving away from these big stadiums could be something that we look to do. I know that Sydney Football Stadium, of course, is being reconstructed at the moment, but what a success it's been to see them playing at Jubilee. Um, I think, in in my opinion, I think it's actually been better quality than what it would have been at the old football stadium, right? Could we yep. see ourselves in a situation where we just move away from these big stadiums and, and and test out smaller stadiums across the country. Uh, look, that that'd be terrific um, if it did happen, Lucy. I, I, I don't know whether whether it's possible. I mean, obviously Sydney, I think, would be tied into a contract with the with the new Sydney Football Stadium. So you know, but I agree. Yeah, you know, watching those games at Jubilee Oval have been fa fantastic, and um, the smaller grounds. I mean, you know, the atmosphere is a lot better. I think the fans enjoy it. They showed. I mean, you look at rugby league, um, the West Tigers, and they play at Leichhardt Oval. They pack it out. You know, right, yeah, the, the fans love it there. Even though there's no parking, the facilities are terrible, but they enjoy the match day atmosphere, being close to the players, and just the atmosphere. The in the surrounds of a ground like Leichhardt. But, um, yeah, hopefully one, one day we can get to that, Lucy. But I don't know uh, how many grounds are suitable for it, to be honest. 
Mm. I want to get your overall impressions, Gaddy, as we look to move on to the next topic uh, about Football Federation Australia in general. Uh, you know, this December it will mark two years since the new board came into effect and they've made some pretty hasty and big decisions um, whilst they've been in those positions. But I'd love to know what your overall sort of adjudication of them yeah, look, it's it's been a tough one for them, hasn't it? Um, huge transition, you know, following the, the Lowe era. Uh, we all called for a change, didn't we? And we, we got it. And uh, obviously the Lowe's and said, yeah, careful what you wish for. But, you know, it's been a tough time for them coming in, especially now with, with COVID and how they've had to handle this and, and the independent A-League where we're going to head with that. Um, yeah, I, I really feel sorry for someone like James Johnson having to walk into into this and, you know, and the troubles with Australian football and all the competing, you know, factions around the game. You know, it's, uh, it's a tough call for him. If I had to give him, you know, a percentage of, or a pass mark, I'd, I'd probably give him 60, 60 out of 100, I, I would think. What did you think of the expansion um, licences that were awarded to MacArthur and also to Western United? I mean, we're yet to see MacArthur the ball, but um, what's your view on those decisions? Yeah, um, interesting ones, to, to be honest. I mean, um, the Southern Expansion did put out a compelling case. It felt sorry, sorry for them. Um, Team 11 as well, they, they, they put out a great case. Um, obviously, we don't know the full reasons why they, 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 they were, those two were given their um, licences. Um, the jury's still out, obviously, on Western United. Um, Hopefully they'll get their um, home ground built. Um, don't know where they are at, at, with that. Uh, MacArthur, I think, will be a success, to be honest. Uh, I live out near, up near Liverpool and I know just how big that, that area is and how much bigger it's going to get. And uh, I think there's certainly enough room for you know, two clubs like Western Sydney and, and MacArthur because MacArthur can stretch way, way down down further so and they'll have a huge catchment area so uh, i'm excited to see what they're going to bring to the the a league next season um and we i guess we're on the right path too because we need to expand the league further i mean we need to get to 14 16 teams as soon as possible what's more important to you before i bounce over to storage for some questions um when you consider what should be a priority or priorities should it be expansion should it be a national second division should it be getting the a league in order should it be looking at the w league and and, and getting that to be a, a far more sustainable competition where do you think our priorities need to be directed at this point lucy i'll ask why can't we have them all as a priority why can't we just yeah concentrate on all of them and get get them all going at the, at the same time you know being a community, being a whole football community, and um, yeah, look, uh, as I said, all of them. I think they're all they're all a priority, and I wouldn't single out one of them, to be honest. Ray Theuma via Facebook. Uh, good afternoon to you, Ray. I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, Mr. Gat. What did you think of David Gallup's reign? He wants to know. I had a lot of hope for David Gallup very early on, uh, to be honest, and I, I I did have a bit of an advantage because I knew David from his days of rugby league, I did also did cover a little bit of rugby league at the time and he knew of me and I knew of him and got on quite well with him. Uh, early on, I thought he was terrific, but I, I think he dropped the ball you know, halfway through, especially with the uh, the fan situation and the fact that the FFA didn't back, you know, the, support the fans in, in those uh, bands. Uh, yeah, I, as I said, I think he lost his way in the end and uh, we certainly needed a change, definitely needed a change and it was good to get a football man in there like James Johnson. Mm -hmm. Stolich, over to you. 
Yeah, Ray, obviously a long time in the game. I wanted to know, uh, you know, what are the mistakes that we keep making that you've seen made, you know, year after year, decade after decade that we're not learning from that in order for us to progress as a kind of football nation, we need to learn from? I think the biggest one is we don't fully understand fan engagement or dealing with the the football community. I I think that's the main one. We've seen that now with... um, you know what happened with the bands and the fans, uh, uh, the Western Sydney fans, and uh, you know the the dumbing down of the you know the uh, support, the, the fan bases, uh, like like the RBB. Um, I, yeah, for me that's probably the biggest one. I mean, I can go back to 1973. Yeah, we made the World Cup final. And we all thought that yeah, Australian soccer was going to boom. This is it. We're going to take over. You know, the sporting landscape in Australia didn't happen because we we were too naive. We thought we didn't have to do anything. You know, the, the ASF at the time, as it was called, and under Sir Arthur George, just thought, you know, this is easy. Making the World Cup d- does our job for us, but it didn't. You know, we needed much more. We needed marketing. We needed more money into the game. It, it didn't happen. Then, then look what happened. You know, the game just degenerated again. So I think the problem is we don't learn from our mistakes. That's the biggest issue for me. Mm. So going forward, uh, you know, when you start to consider, I already asked you what some of the priorities should be, but, um, you know, when it comes to the A-League particularly, um, and that's, of course, why we get together on these Thursday shows, uh, there have been a lot of discussions around uh, the competition potentially restarting again in about December. When I caught up with Gregor Rourke, he said, you know, potentially coming up to Christmas, that's when we could see the new season resume. But we're having a look now at the fact that the, the, the Fox Sports broadcast has been significantly reduced from $57 million to $32 million now. We're talking about the salary cap. Uh, you know, I've seen an agent come out and there was a story that Vince Regari wrote, John Grimaud, basically sure. saying that we should scrap the salary cap and the floor as well. Um, where does your mind rest when it comes to a few of the issues concerning the A-League for next season? Yeah, I saw that story from Vince and uh, John Grimaud, and I've got a lot of time for John Grimaud. I think he's one of the best uh, thinkers in the game, and, yeah, we probably should take a bit more notice of, of him, to be honest. Um, yeah, all, all very interesting points. Uh, salary cap, look, I've been one to think that we need to keep it because, you know, it does level out the competition. As we've seen over the years, yeah, we've had a lot of different winners of the A-League, which, which is great and that helps sustain the interest of the fans. But probably starting to think now that maybe we do need to get rid of it and the, and the, uh, and the floor as well and, um, and open it up and see where, see where we go. Um, yeah, basically, um, that's, yeah, that's, um, that's my feeling, John. I think, importantly, the A-League needs to expand very quickly quickly as well to, as I said earlier, 14, 16 teams and second division promotion relegation. Will it do much for the competition, expanding it? I mean, because we all put our eggs in this expansion basket thinking that it would resuscitate the competition or rescue it to an extent. But, you know, we've seen Western United come in and unfortunately they haven't given us the uplift that we've all been looking for. Are we anticipating that we'll get that once MacArthur come in or once subsequent teams come into the competition or are we missing something else, Gaddy? No, I think we'll see a bit of an uplift with MacArthur because, as I said, I think they'll be able to attract a really good fan base. But, look, importantly, we've we've got to get the new expansion teams in in the right areas, you know, maybe... Certainly, maybe another team from um, up up in Queensland. Maybe another team in in Adelaide, and another team in Perth. Just to you know, just to get some real derbies in there. Although I, I get you know the big issue for me is we have too many derbies. Yeah, 
But, you know, with extra teams, you're also going to have an even competition, aren't you? So you're only going to be playing each other two times and not, and not three times. So we certainly need expansion in that regard. Mm. Stolich, your views on uh, potentially abolishing salary cap in addition to the floor, potentially? I mean, it's risky. Uh, you know, it's, it's risky for some of those players who are on close to minimum wage already. Uh, you know, you're demanding a lot of um, young footballers to be professional, to give up so much of their life. Often they have to, you know, move interstate to different places they're not familiar with. So, but maybe it's naturally part of the evolution of this game because people have been calling for it for a while. We've had the salary cap in, and I'm not sure how much it's helped us. You know, we talk about the equalization uh, benefits of it, and you know, on one hand, we've had multiple, we've had many different A League champions, but on the other hand, you know, for the last three or four years, Sydney have been top, and Mariners have been bottom. Sorry, Gaddy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Look, you, you and- know. No, yeah, sorry, I to, just sorry, Nick. In, in terms of the salary cap, what I would like to see you can, you can keep the salary cap, but pay your um, visa players outside of the salary cap. I, I think that might work. That would allow more money to, to filter through to the to the younger players and whatever. And you can pay yeah you know, your whatever amount of visa players you have three, four, or five. You pay them outside of the outside of the cap. But let's think about it in realistic terms now, and, and I'm talking short term, because coming into this next season, uh, you know, if we're going to have a significantly reduced salary cap, if they choose not to abolish it entirely, how are we going to be able to attract, uh, you know, visa players, foreign players who, with all due respect to many of the past uh, players that have come to the A-League, have probably expected it to be a bit of an easy ride, and they've come here on a big pay packet and chewed up much of the cap, when, to be honest, I'd prefer to see that mon- money distributed across younger players, um, and to, for them to be given an opportunity, but can you see a, a lot of visa players coming out in the next season, Gaddy? Yeah, that's a tough one, isn't it, Lucy? But we've got to take into account too the, the situation overseas. I mean, they're all affected by the by by COVID as well, and, and what's going to happen with their leagues and and the salary money uh, situation over there. So you know, maybe they want to come to Australia for the yeah, that's a safe place, you know. COVID hasn't really hit us that hard and, um, you know, it's good lifestyle. So maybe we can sell sell that to the visa players. But, yeah, it could be an issue. It could really be an issue, especially keeping some of our more talented players here as well. I'll tell you what has been a really big issue over the last couple of days and it's going to affect you uh, more than anybody on this panel here today, Gaddy, and any Mavericks fans tuning in. It's the news, yes, that Mike Charlesworth, after you know what's been a tumultuous spell for this club for a number of years now, has decided to put it up for sale and hand back his licence. Um, the question that we're posing to all of the fans tuning in is what's going to happen next? Can a community ownership model work? But Gaddy, I want to, before we address those questions, I want to get your initial reaction because, uh, you know, it's been such a horrible yeah. thing seeing this club reduced to patterns effectively over the years when you consider the success that they experienced under Graham Arnold and to an extent also Laurie McKinna. Uh, you know, it's just been woeful. But how did you react to the news? Yeah, Lucy, let me preface my remarks by saying, look, I know there's a lot of anger out there towards Mike Charlesworth and a lot of Mariners fans are, are happy that he's now going, going to hand back the licence. I, I can see their point and I sort of agree with them, but, you know, without Mike Charlesworth, the club could have died in in 2012, 2013. He, you know, he he saved the club from from extinction, and he's had a tough battle trying to compete. He he's a sole owner, and you know he does not. And while he's 
fairly well off. He's not as well off as you know the people who own uh, Sydney FC or, or the City Football Group or, or Melbourne, the Melbourne Victory. So you know he's had to do it virtually on on his own. But yeah, to be fair, he's also allowed the club to yeah slip slip badly over the last few seasons. And look, I think this is a good thing that's happening. Uh, hopefully. They'll have a buyer soon. Uh, hopefully that buyer is someone who um, understands the Central Coast community, understands the people and the families there and, uh, and what the region's all about and what a club like the Mariners means to them. It's, I think that's vitally important and it's also important that whoever takes over is not allowed to relocate the club because that would be an absolute disaster. I think one of the, the issues that I've had before I bounce over you on this subject, when I started to really delve into Mike Charlesworth and his involvement, of course, we know him to be the uh, the managing director of MediaTel, a massive uh, communications company in the UK. Uh, when he did come here to Australia, he'd had big ambitions. Of course, he wanted to start to look at where he could invest property-wise. So he established the Centre of Excellence. And, I mean, Gaddy, I'm sure you've been out there. I've had It's a great. It's brilliant. It's very, he very good. It really brilliant. What's great about it? What is actually great about it? The players don't have their own gym. They've right. only effectively got one floor of these offices that are being rented out and leased out to other businesses. They're sharing a, a public pool. They can't even use the pitches there because, you know, they're not wanting to pump money into it. So I want to know what is so excellent about this Centre of Excellence. It's not as if it's a training hub designed entirely for the players and the coaching staff. That's the problem that I have, number one, first and mm. foremost. Second to that, he was going on and on and on about wanting to create this entertainment centre around the stadium, around Gosford Stadium, which we all love. I think it's probably one of the best stadiums in the country for football to both watch at and a lot of the players will say to play on. Um, but then when he started trying to push that through the council and the council knocked it back, he said, oh, okay, well, I'm getting very frustrated. I can't create what I've wanted to here. So when he didn't have the opportunity to pump the money into real estate, why didn't he then start pumping the money into the football club? Why continue to spend the bare minimum of the cap consistently for years and watch this football club die and make the coaches of that football club the scapegoats for their lack of success. That's my biggest issue is that he didn't give the players and the staff the best opportunity to succeed and he hid his intentions for real estate by buying a football club. That's my issue. You're probably spot on, uh, Lucien, and probably well said. Look, I do understand the frustrations he's had with, with the council. I mean, you know, they wanted to take over the, the full-time lease of the of the of the um, stadium. I did see some plans that they had for for the stadium, and they look fantastic. Really, look fantastic. If they'd gone ahead, well, you know, it could have changed a lot of things. But yeah, look, that that centre of excellence. I've seen it. It looks okay. It looks okay to me. But yeah, I don't know what it's been like over the last twelve months or so. So maybe things have changed there. But um, yeah, look, I. I can understand where you're coming from, and yeah, maybe uh, yeah, and that's why it's probably best that now he get he gets out, and someone else is given a chance to see what they can do with the club. And and I mean, look, I know that a lot of people say, and you've said it there yourself. And I'm sorry, I'm very passionate about the subject because I, I just think it's a disgrace what's happened there. Uh, and ultimately, we're in a scenario where a lot of people have said that okay, he came in and he rescued the club and all these sorts of things. But I think, well, what if there had been another owner that had actually come along at the same time and wanted to particularly invest in the football club? Um, you know, it could have also been saved by them. I think ever since Charlesworth took over, the club's been on life support, um, and it's always been operating on the bare minimum. Stolich. 
um, anything else to add to this discussion and, and your views on, on Charlesworth handing back the Washington? Well, I mean, yeah, like, like you guys are saying, it, it could it could have been handled better. Um, but you know, like Ray was saying, that in, the club needed money at the time when he first came in. But my kind of concern now is, is what what happens after, and what do we do now? Because I feel like if we're reliant on you know often foreign owners coming in, we've had a lot of problems with owners. We've had problems with owners at Brisbane Raw. We've had problems with owners at Newcastle Jets. Obviously, we had problems at the Gold Coast back in the day. So sometimes I worry with these you know owners who just come in and out and and they they put their money in for a bit and then they whether they have business issues away from the football club and that kind of hurts them and they can no longer invest in the club or, you know, they just get bored of it or they get frustrated with it or it isn't what they thought it was going to be. Um, you know, it, it seems an issue. So what I would like to know is and from you, Gaddy, if you think a kind of community ownership model could work, you know, we, we talk about in Germany, they have the 50 plus one model one, yep. where, where fans own 50% of the club through membership fees. You know, it, it was kind of floating around on um, social media this week when the news broke. Uh, I wanted to know your thoughts, whether you think it can work generally in the A-League and then specifically at the Mariners? Yeah, look, I think it can work specifically at the Mariners. Um, I'd certainly be in, in, interested in, you know, putting a little bit of ma- money into it or whatever. But um, Me too. Yeah, yeah. look, uh, the, the issue is um, the region is, you know, it's full of families and a lot of them can, are doing it tough whether they can afford, you know, what, what would be $1,000 or whatever a season to uh, into the club, it's a that's a tough one. Um, you know, I think what they've got seven thousand members. So, as someone wrote, I think Philip Philip Mickleff on the World Game wrote, you know, five thousand of them invested, you know, seven hundred and fifty or thousand dollars. Well, that you know that that'd be a significant amount of money. But you know, whether whether that can happen or not, I I don't know. I'd love to see it happen. It'd be mm-hmm. an interesting uh, development. Uh, yeah, only time will tell. Look, I I think the Mariners will probably, will head down a, a new owner's path, and you know maybe that owner might might look at it as well. Who knows? With respect to that new ownership, sorry, Stolich, um, we're hearing some rumours coming out of uh, several uh, states across the country. I know that ACT have been bandied about. I know that um, Lynchy yesterday, um, not Lynchy Senior, but his son Joe Lynch, who joined us uh, on our program said that somewhere up in Queensland has been floated to potentially take over the licence, which would effectively see the club uh, as we know it, the Mariners, disbanded. How would you feel about something like that? Uh, I don't think it should happen. Under no circumstances should should the Mariners be, be relocated, in all honesty. It's just, it just doesn't make any sense to me, to be honest. Um, and I'm talking, you know, because I'm a season ticket holder, have been for six, seven years, eight years now. And, um, you know, to take that away from that community, you've got to go there. I I know people say they don't get fans or whatever, you know, and it's small crowds. But you look at the, the crowds there, made up a hell of a lot of families. You know, they've got two, three kids. And, you know, that's the lifeblood. You know, you want to have give something to them to, to be able to look forward to, to go and, watch a game of A-League, you know, on one of the best stadiums, you know, in the country. So, you know, it would just make no sense if they, if a new owner came in and relocated. And I would hope that the FFA or the new independent A-League, whoever's in charge at the time, doesn't allow it to happen. It can't happen. Mm. Mm. Stolich, news on that? 
I totally agree uh, with you there, Gaddy, because I think a it, it stuffs up so many things. A you you alienate the Mariners fans. You know, there's seven thousand members, but also kind of you know your, your extra four or five thousand people would consider themselves fans, but not necessarily members. They're alienated. I think the Central Coast. You know, it's three hundred thousand people there. With good community engagement, that uh, team can grow, and I think crowds can grow there. And we've seen that, you know, they averaged 10,000 uh, a few years ago when they were doing quite well. So there is a community there. Yeah. I think also there's history there. You know, we talk about the Mariners have been in three grand finals. They've won a championship. You can't just get rid of a team like this. I, I think it would be – and also, if I'm a fan of, you know, let's say they move it to Wollongong or Canberra or Queensland, like we were saying, I want my own team. I don't want – the team that's come from the Central Coast, I would feel, A, bad for the Central Coast, but I just don't like that as, as a thing. So I think um, I think it would be a, a terrible mistake. I think the Mariners needs to stay in the Central Coast, and if these new teams want to come in, then they can come through expansion or promotion and relegation. 100%. Nick, give, give them a, a good owner, give them a good team, and they will come out. I yeah. promise you, they will, they will come out. In decent numbers. I mean, you know, you're not going to get fifteen thousand or whatever there, but you, you, you'll you'll get just ten thousand. You know, and that's and that's a viable proposition. But give them a good team to support. Yeah, and it's a good football region as well. You know, there's plenty of Socceroos who've come out of you know not only the Central Coast Mariners team, but also that Central Coast region. And I think you need to always give them a pathway. Those junior players yeah. in. That area. I mean, what message do you send to those junior players if you take the team away from them? So I really, really hope that the Mariners, A, survive. I'd love to see this community model that is being floated about, whether that's, you know, obviously 50% owned by the fans, 50% private investors or even local council could get involved. Um, even I'm not a Mariners fan, but I'd love to kind of contribute to that because I just think it'd be an exciting development. And, um, you know, let us know in the comments if uh, you would also like to see that happen. But, yeah, I think uh, it's very important that the centri- that the Mariners don't leave the Central Coast. Well, one of the things I think that has been suggested is that if uh, a new team or, or, or a new owner wants to come in effectively, that they, it would no longer be known as the Mariners. They would absorb that licence and create a team of their own. That's something that I've certainly heard. Um, that would definitely be very worrying to you, uh, Gaddy, to consider that the Cole Club could collapse entirely. Yeah, it would. Yeah, but as I said to you, Lucy, it would be a disaster. And it, and it hurt the region in, in all honesty, yeah. I would just hope that you know maybe the Central Coast Council can get involved. Maybe the Central Coast Leagues Club, and, yeah, and and the fans can all all get together. But you can't allow the Mariners to die. Simple, can't allow it to happen. I mean, you know, if you get promotion and relegation, they get rele- relegated. Well, that's football. Yeah, do it the proper way, but not like that. Can the FFA afford to be in a situation, though, where, let's say, for example, if they do have investors coming to the table that are saying we want to take on the licence and we want to develop our own team elsewhere across the country, um, can they afford to start bargaining? Because one thing that I have heard um, is that if the club were to relocate and if they were to create their own licence or to, to even just relocate it in general, is that um, that FFA would demand 50% of the, the, the fee? So that would be a significant, I guess, um, you know, it, it wouldn't be something that would be appealing to something like a Mike Charlesworth, you'd have to imagine. If he was only no, going to get be, no. that licence for you. You'd imagine that he'd get rid of that immediately. Um, but, you know, from FFA's perspective, you know, they're on the cusp of insolvency themselves, uh, you know, and, and now knowing that the broadcast revenue will be significantly reduced for the coming season, um, you know, they can't afford to have to take on a club. So could they be forced into a desperate situation here, Ray? And, you know, in addition to other clubs across the league, you know that the Jets are in trouble, Adelaide have reported 
in, you know, a world of hurt as well. We've also had rumblings coming out of Perth with Sage trying to flog the club off, you know, some time ago to a guy running a Bitcoin company. Um, you know, can they really afford to, to pick and choose what they do here? No, look, it's a tough one from the FFA, and you're right. You know, that they are struggling big time financially, but, you know, the money's going down the drain there. Look, I don't know what the answer is, Lucy. Um, yeah, I, I really don't know what the answer is. I just I hope uh, there are sensible minds around and get get their heads around the whole situation and, and, and get us back on the right track and, you know, and make sure that the Mariners stay in the A-League. <laughs> that's all I'm worried about, to be honest. That, that's the main thing that concerns me because I know what the people of the Central Coast are like. You know, you know I've been going there for... 30 years and I'm almost almost living there now. So I know what the community is like and I know that they deserve an, an A-League club. Oh, they're beautiful people. I mean, I lived out there for a year and that's why I feel so passionately about it because I just know how how much they love their football club and how dismayed they've been to see how things have played out. Before we move on to the next subject, Ray, I mean, I'd love to hear from you uh, your views on, on why the club has been such a shambles over the years. Is it the players? Is it the coaches? Is it the lack of investment? Is it all of it? I mean, from your perspective, what's been your biggest gripe? Yeah, look, yeah, Lucy, look, the, the lack of inve investment, honest, obviously, is, is, is the big one. You need you need to do some players, and, you know, and they've gone from coach to coach and, you know, player to player and, you know, they seem to go for the, you know, bargain basement players, yeah. We, we also need, need a couple of decent overseas visa players, just players that can uh, attract the fans, do some footballers. Um, look, I like Milan Juric. I think he's a quality mm. player. But look, it, it looks like he's going to leave the club. You can't afford to lose someone like him. Ziggy Gordon's been terrific for the club. But, you know, as I say, it's just been, it's been totally a, a money issue and, they, you know, they've Tried to run it on a on a shoestring and you know and cut their losses. They keep cutting and cutting and cutting, and once you cut so much, there's nothing left, is there? You just you don't you don't have a club anymore if you're going to keep cutting. So money money is the issue. And as I said to you, Mike Charlesworth is not as cast up as some of the other big owners. So I felt sorry for him in, in that regard. But you know he's also made a hell of a lot of mistakes and hasn't carried out on the promises he's yeah you know, he he's made. Mm. All right, let's breeze, breeze through, pardon me, some of the A-League results that we've seen in recent days, Stolich. Um, namely, we want to talk about that Perth uh, game against the Wanderers as well. Of course, we had Kilkenny on the show earlier on today. Um, and for those of you that may have missed it, of course, you can catch it on demand again. But uh, the question that we have, and we'll ask, uh, I'll ask you first, uh, Stolich, as well, before we do the rounds with our comments and Gaddy, but did Perth and Popper prove their point after defeating the Wanderers 3-1? Uh, yeah, I think they did. You know, it's important sometimes when you have a result like they did against Adelaide where they lost 5-3, yeah, sometimes your reaction can be as important as the initial result because, you know, that could have really, you know, like uh, Ray was saying, there, there was question marks over Perth. Can they create enough chances uh, without Castro? And, you know, they've shown at least at least going forward, that's not their problem. They've scored six goals in the last two games. So I think it's interesting. And I think that as long as Perth are there in the finals, they get a potential banana skin for, you know, City and Sydney and Wellington above them because they have the experience with uh, a popper, but they've also got, you know, players like Kilkenny, Fornaroli, uh, Franjic, you know, experienced players who who know how to do it. And then exciting young players coming through like Dane Ing Ingham as well. So, and Nick D'Agostino, yeah. who we talked about. So, uh, yeah, I think it was an important win for Perth. And, you know, question marks as well over the Wanderers. You know, they had an opportunity with this restart to kind of really push uh, for the top six, and I feel like they just haven't 
performed very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you about Perth, Nick. I'd, I'd hate to be facing them in the finals because um, they're a side that can, yeah, on their day they'll beat anyone and they'll they'll they'll, they'll give you a good hiding as well. So, and you know, Pop is such an astute coach, and um, he's going to have them prime that for those finals. So, yeah, mm-hmm. and in terms of the Wanderers, yeah, it's a it's been a tough season for them, hasn't it? Yeah. It, they lost their coach, uh, Marcus Babbel, sacked him. JP's come in and done a pretty good job, to be honest, under under the circumstances. But yeah, injuries haven't helped them as well, and um, you know, just just lacking a little bit of something, I think, in in the midfield. Um, they're going to do it tough to make the finals. Funnily enough, they're going to have to hope for Sydney to beat um, Adelaide tonight, which is a which is a funny scenario because if Adelaide win, then uh, Wanderers have no hope of making the finals, mathematically. Mm-hmm. Can you see them cracking the finals, though, Gaddy? I mean, I think that JP's walked into a really tough situation here because this is a squad that he's obviously inherited, um, you know, with his predecessor, Marcus Babbel, uh, putting together this team by the by. But I just think that, you know, he's had to come in, he's had to try and galvanise this this football club to try and basically start to to strive for, for bigger things because we know them to be such a success. But it, it seems like something is distinctly lacking at the Wanderers at the moment. And do you think that it lies with the players or is there something bigger at play here? Uh, look, that's a tough one. Look, I, I'm a little bit biased here. As you know, I spent uh, eight months there helping them out with media-wise. And you know, I, I, I watched the players work and they really worked hard. Their work ethic is, is fantastic and they're a good bunch of guys. And, you know, the sort of club I think, you know, we know what anything can happen in the finals. If they make the finals, you know, they're capable of, of, of clicking. Um, got some decent players. Mitchell Duke can score goals. Yeah. Perman Swegler is actually a top class player. Simon Cox, we know, we know his qualities. And, you know, uh, yeah, they're, they're a team that could cause some damage if, if they make the finals. But, yeah, look, um, they've been very disappointing over the last three or four seasons, haven't they? We've expected so much more from that club in terms of in terms of results. I, I know that they they continue to work hard to try and get that club back up to where it belongs. And um, you know, as I say, if they make the, if they make the finals, they they could cause an upset. Maybe not make the grand final, but could cause an upset early on. I can't see them making the final, Stolik. Can you? No. No, nah, no chance. They, they won't make the finals this year. They just don't have enough games and stuff to get in. One thing I think has been disappointing for me from the Wanderers is there's so many great young talents coming out of their academy, but we're not quite seeing them really kind of star for the Wanderers and, and get you know regular game time. We're often seeing them go elsewhere. You know, you, you look at uh, Ruiz Diaz, who played really well for the Mariners uh, on yep. um, uh, Monday night against Victory. He uh, was in the Wanderers Academy like two years ago or something. So And Sam you know, Silvera. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's, and I think um, Rami Nanjarine as well was uh, down with the Wanderers um, as well and then moved to City. So there's a lot of talent in that area. And I just think the Wanderers, one of the best ways they can, you know, return to their successful ways and really engage the fans is really start giving some of these young players opportunities, build a nice core of these good, really talented, your best talented young players coming out of Western Sydney and, you know, really make the most of that and then sell them on to Europe and then make the money from that. That's what I would like to see from the Wanderers. Yeah, they have to get that mix right, Nick, with, uh, between experience and, and blooding their youth because, as you say, their youth system is outstanding. I, I say full credit to the guys like, you know, Ian Crook um, doing a fantastic job there. They, you know, they're rich in talent there. They've just got to give them a chance. They're, they're 
you know, champing at the bit to get their chance, those kids. And I've seen how hard they work as well. So, yeah, get that mix right and they're on the right track. Michael Ong writing in one of our regular viewers across both of our Wednesday and Thursday shows. He has been asking this question repeatedly. Finally, Michael Ong, we're going to give you a chance to ask Gaddy this one. Hi, Lucy and Luke. Could you please ask Ray if he had the chance to try Luis Garcia's Sangria? No, unfortunately, but I did have the chance to interview him and he's a fantastic guy. Lovely, lovely guy. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, no, I, I, I do like his Sangria too. So, um, yeah, <laughs> maybe next red time he comes out, hope, hope, red, red's got to be red. red. It's got to be red, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, got to be red. There's a, good, would... there's a good Spanish restaurant at the entrance that makes a nice sangria. So, yeah. Yeah. I should have taken your word on that back when I was living there because I couldn't find a decent restaurant to save my life up at the coast. No disrespect, but, gee, it was rough. It was rough. Careful, careful, Lucy. You've got to go in the right places. I think it's a great town and they could do so much more with the restaurants and the cafe scene, don't you reckon, Gaddy? If they had someone invest down in Terrigal especially, that whole scene could be just beautiful. There aren't enough good places to eat. There's your problem, Lucy. You should go down to the entrance and Long Jetty. Long Jetty's full of cafes, great cafes, yeah. and, and the entrance is uh, full of good restaurants too. All right. Okay. When I go back. When I go back that way, I'll make sure I get up the entrance. And we want to reflect on this game purely because we also want to discuss Adelaide. Um, and, I mean, Perth's result against them was less than flattering, um, but absolutely belted by the Reds, a fantastic performance by Adelaide. I mean, I guess the question that we're asking the fans and, and we'll pose to you, Gaddy, is what went wrong for Perth at that time? But more so in the respect of Adelaide, can you see them making the six? And, my gosh, the stream of talent, of young talent oh. that... Reds team have coming through at the moment. It is so impressive. We talk about the Wanderers producing players, but I tell you what, the Reds in the country by far for me are the best at it at the moment. Yeah, how good is it, Lucy, just to watch oh. an Adelaide team play and those young players. And you know what? I'm going to give full marks to, to Carl Vert. He has done so well. And, um, you know, um, knowing Carl from, from his playing days and talking to him, I absolutely never thought that coaching would be on his radar but, you know, he's done a fantastic job and uh, he's obviously learned very well under, you know, pl having played under the, the legendary Zoran Matic, who is one of the greatest coaches we've, we've ever had and a uh, great guy as well. So, um, you know, it's just fantastic to see Adelaide play this sort of football and, and for Carl to be giving these young guys their chance. Can they make the six, Stolich? Can you see the Reds actually staying alive within the top six? Because as it stands... <coughs> They've got Newcastle Jets on 31 points. I mean, Adelaide United are on 34. Uh, but, you know, it's it's all going to depend on sort of how they perform in their next couple of games because for Adelaide they've got Sydney and Melbourne City. Yeah, huge game tonight. If, if they can do uh, if they can do the business against Sydney, then they're a good chance. But, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, I don't know. It's a very, very interesting one, but I think they might have just left their run a little too late because, of course, you know, Western United do have the games in hand. But that's not to say if they do miss out that Carl Vitt shouldn't be appointed on a permanent basis. I think, you know, what you were saying was right, Gaddy. He's done yeah. fantastically well. So, you know, I would like to see him... Uh, doing well and you know i'd like to see um more of these young players coming through at adelaide because i think it's been fantastic the point is that um nick adelaide always do well when they have an, a local coach a local an adelaide boy in, in charge so with yeah. Zoran Maddie, so i'm seeing it with yeah with with carl so yeah, yeah. and aurelio vidmar back in the day aurelio vidmar yeah 
absolutely. Yeah, no, I think uh, we can all agree they've done fabulous things with their youth team. And I, I do wish them the best because I'd love to see how they'll compete come the final series against these bigger names. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they fare, but particularly keeping our eyes on tonight's game against Sydney and then their next match against City. Of course, Western United, they do have the games in hand. They've got four remaining against the Wanderers, Perth, Sydney and City. So it's not exactly an easy run for them, but you'd have to imagine that if they weren't able to make the six, it'd be a bit of a catastrophe as well, wouldn't it, Gaddy? With all those games in hand, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they how they handle the, the next next couple of weeks. Look, they've done a good job, to be honest. So, yeah, um, it'll be a huge achievement if they can make it. Okay, huge. what about the match between Melbourne City and Sydney FC? Uh, City walking away winners two 0 I thought it was a fantastic performance from them, but quite the opposite for Sydney FC. It was really lack. Cluster. I think their last two performances has been really disappointing and it's something that Stevie Corica, I'm sure, will be desperate to, to fix now coming up to the final series because we want the boys on a high. They're a very resilient team, this Sky Blues side, um, very structured, very disciplined. But in this match, it was all about Melbourne City. Um, and the question that we're posing to everybody is, does City have what it takes to be the A-League champion, Gaddy? Your view on that? Yeah, oh, Absolutely. They've got quality all over the park, yeah. I think that the thing with City is that you know, they, they came to this game really fresh. So, you know, they, they look really good. Um, uncharacteristically, the, the Sydney made a couple of bad defensive mistakes and they were, they, they were punished badly. Um, it's been interesting to see how they've come back since the break. They haven't been impressive at all. But, um, look, I'm sure Stevie Corrick is going to get them back on the right, right track. It's... Too good a side. I think mentally, maybe they've switched off after they, you know, clinched the premier's plate. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they go against against Adelaide tonight. I think that's going to be the real um, indicator of just where Sydney are at the moment. Mm. Let's move on to the next uh, fixture, Solich, if you wouldn't mind. I'd love to discuss with you the Jets' result against Western United, but um, more so in the respect that we've got news coming out now that a Jets fan has tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, New South Wales Health, of course, have posted out various messages saying that if you did attend the game and that you were at a particular pub uh, prior to the match, and we'll give you the name for that, um, to be wary of any symptoms um, or to, to certainly get tested if you're concerned about it and to self-isolate immediately. It's pretty scary stuff because, of course, all of this COVID-19 stuff continuing to dominate headlines every day but um now when you're hearing that someone has tested positive it, it, it brings it home doesn't it solich yeah it's a huge concern and you know you have to wonder does it put into threat having crowds uh at the a-league at all but you know i would say obviously it's very important that everyone watching this you know if you're a fan of the jets get in touch with anyone who was at the game just in case they haven't seen it you know make sure that they are getting tested or especially if they're showing any symptoms um yeah it, it's it's very concerning of course there was a, a junior player as well in the jets academy who also tested positive. I believe it is connected. Um, but, yeah, the name of that pub is the Hopsmith Sports Bar West uh, New Lambton. Uh, so if you were there before the game on Sunday, uh, you need to immediately self-isolate and seek testing. So because the person who tested positive was a man in his 20s, uh, he was at that pub before. Obviously, pubs are a bit worse because they're inside, in close spaces. Um, and then, yeah, if you're at the game as well, there's 2,500 people there. So it is a worry. Um, we're, we're kind of at a tipping point in New South Wales, I think, and we need to be very careful how we proceed. Yeah. I think the important part here is that, um, sorry, Lucy, is that uh, the Jets 
precautions at the at the ground were, were pretty good, from what I understand. I mean, you know, they're very COVID aware, and uh, all 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 um, uh, precautions were, were taken. So you know, they had social distancing. Uh, fans were separated by two or three rows, uh, and there was only two thousand. 500 people there so and it's a big stadium I think it fills about 20,000 so you know with a with a bit of luck touch wood you know we'll be fine. Mm, Jets um their chances uh ultimately when you consider how their return to the competition has been they had to win almost every game to keep their finals hopes alive Gaddy but um is it a bridge too far now? Yeah absolutely unfortunately because they've they've done very well haven't they and i very impressed again with with Carl Robinson and what he's done with the with this with this group of players. Um, it's just a shame that there are some uh, off the field issues there that could affect the club in a not too distant future. But yeah, they, they've done very well. The Jets, um, yeah, and full full credit to the players and full credit to to Carl Robinson. Uh, question about Western United. Uh, Mike Long once again. Once the Amunty went off, Western didn't look like scoring or creating any chances, uh, and and that's the biggest problem that I have with Western United is that uh, they quite they are quite reliant on Diamante. Um, but the problem is is that they're so inconsistent too, aren't they, Stolich? Is that you just don't know what kind of a Western United you're going to get on any given day. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I feel like when they score early, they really kick on and they do well and the confidence is there and everything's kind of flowing nicely. You know, we saw it against Victory. We saw it when they smashed Adelaide, when they smashed the Mariners. But, uh, yeah, it does feel like there's a bit of tension in the squad. You know, internally they've had some issues. We know that players have left and all that type of thing. And you do feel that when things go wrong, they, they seem to... Uh, get a bit anxious. I don't know. It, it's hard to read from the outside, but it's definitely something that Roods needs to address because that's something that you need to kind of deal with, especially when you get to this end of the season. But, you know, on a positive note, I've got to say, I think um, this restart, the race for the six has actually been really exciting. So many teams mm-hmm. in, you know, Jets were involved, uh, Wanderers were involved. you got Adelaide, Western United. You know, there was a chance that Brisbane and Perth could fall out. And with games every night, I, I think it, it's been really nice to have a exciting finals. It, it's not what I kind of prefer. I like the system of, you know, first past the post is the champion. But if we are mm-hmm. going to have a final system, it is good that, you know, especially because the title race was decided kind of quite early, that we are having a bit of drama uh, in the season. And, you know, well done to all involved. Mm, couldn't agree more. Mm. Let's take a the match between Wellington and Brisbane Roar, it uh, finished the stalemate 1-1. They had to share the spoils there. Uh, but the question they were asking, is Jamie Young the best keeper in the league? It's a controversial one because I'm a big fan of Paul Izzo. I think that Redmayne over at Sydney FC is fantastic. Uh, you know, Liam Reddy as well is, still has so much to give, um, even at his age and, and all of his experience that he's amassed is, a, is an impressive one. But, um, Gaddy, the question to you, yeah. is Jamie Young the best keeper in the league? Well, at the moment, on last night's performance, uh, he certainly is. He, he was, uh, he's unbelievable. But how blessed are we with in terms of all the goalkeepers we had this season? So you mentioned Liam Reddy is a personal favourite of mine, great bloke too. But, yeah, let's not forget Daniel Lopar, what he was doing with the Wanderers yeah. um, early in the season. He was absolutely tremendous. Uh, you know, and you've got Kurto, you've got Marinovic. Uh, it's fantastic to see the quality of goalkeepers we have at the moment. You know, um, but, yeah, on, on what Jamie displayed uh, the other night, yeah, he probably is the best on, on form anyway. 
Um, A-Leg Memes, always good to have your company across our Wednesday and Thursday shows. And, um, you know, just love the spice that you add to the program. If I found my missus in bed with Jamie Young, I'd ask him if he wants a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> why, am I not why am I not surprised that they would post something like that? <laughs> uh, just a cup of tea, not a beer or anything else. I just wonder how long that invitation would last for as well, for as long as Jamie Young's in good form, I imagine. Um, Stolich, your view on Wellington, um, you know, we've we've heard from Coach Fultale as well. I did the chat with him the other week. Uh, you know, I think they're just flying so high and they've been incredible to watch under him this season. Uh, you know, I, I had big doubts on how they would perform post the, Mar uh, the Marco Rudan era because I didn't know that somebody else could go that extra gear. But Ufuk Talley has. Yeah, they've, they've been fantastic and, and it's important for them because they, you know, we talk about the Mariners being under threat. They were under threat of kind of being expelled from the competition at one stage. So the fact that they're performing on the pitch uh, has been great. I think they've been a credit to the league this year, um, you know, and a credit to the league in terms of bringing through young players. Uh, so that, that's been uh, very exciting. Um, will they have enough kind of uh, in the finals? I think they're just kind of one step a, a bit behind uh, maybe City and Sydney. and uh, But, you know, yeah, they're, they're a fun team to watch. And uh, if Jamie Young hadn't been so good last night, I'm sure they would have got the win. Well, yeah. they've got some outstanding plays that we've seen come through Wellington Phoenix. And one of them, of course, that will be of no surprise to anyone is the great Sarpreet Singh. And I say the great because he's kicking it about uh, over in Germany in the Bundesliga with Bayern. Uh, you know, he gets to see Robert Lewandowski scoring absolute pearlers in training every other day. Um, it's outstanding, um, his achievement, uh, really, when you consider what's happened here. So you had the chance to catch up with him as well and have a chat. And what did you talk about? Yeah, it was it was really good actually to talk uh, to Sarpreet. He talked uh, many things, and the full interview is on our website, and uh, there'll be an article coming out uh, shortly. Um, he even talked about how Lewandowski has kind of taken him under his wing, and when he when he played his first game against uh, Verda, Lewandowski said in the warm up, "Don't worry, when you come on, I'll go over to your side and help you." So he was, you know, uh, he was playing out wide on the left, and Lewandowski was always there to support him and stuff. So it's great that someone of his caliber is helping someone like Singh. But uh, I asked him. Uh, in an interview yesterday whether he thought any A-League players could make that step up from the A-League to Europe like he has done, and this was his answer. Yeah, hi, Sarpreet. Nick Stoll here from SBS Australia. Uh, I just wanted to know, you played it with, in a very talented team last year uh, in Wellington with a lot of good young players. Is there anyone from that team that you think could also make the step up to Europe? Obviously, you've made the step up and you know what it takes uh, to go to Europe. Is there anyone like there, maybe uh, Kakache, uh, you know, you played with Burgess as well. He's having a good season in Australia. Any of your ex-teammates you think could make that step up? I think, I think there's a there's a lot of good players in the, in the A-League and especially younger players now. And I think a lot of them are getting their chances from, from how I've been keeping track back home. And um, yeah, for me, definitely Libby, uh, Kakachi, I think. He's bound to, to get a move somewhere after the season he's had. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I mean, I hope for him because it's, it's good. If you, for me, if you want to play football at the highest level, you have to be in Europe. It's as, as simple as that. And um, the, the quicker, I guess, you can make the step, but make sure it's the right one. I think, um, yeah, it's definitely going to go well for him. And, he's, yeah, he's definitely capable of, of I guess, his potentials like very high. So... It's definitely possible, but there's also other boys. Um, Callum McCow, for example, I think um, 
you know, he's, he's been coming on doing well recently. And I think, yeah, for sure, everyone, I think there's a lot of young boys that can, can cut it in Europe for sure. But at the same time, it's, it's not so easy. It's cutthroat, you know, and you have to be strong to survive. Otherwise, um, yeah, like, I mean, nothing's handed to you and you're in a completely different environment. You maybe you don't speak the language of the country and your family's not with you. Um, you know, it takes a lot mentally, but I think um, in football, the strongest one survives. So, um, yeah, I definitely think the A-League's a perfect platform for, for young players to, to, to play and then, and then make the step up to Europe for sure. Well, it's certainly been the perfect platform for Sarpreet Singh and great to see. Obviously, our congratulations are extended to him on what he's achieved so far because it's just huge that he's signed with a club like Bayern. But another question that you also asked him, Stolich, was about who would be the favourites between the All-Whites and the Socceroos, and this is what he had to say on that yeah, subject. hi, Sarpreet. Uh, I just wanted to ask, obviously, traditionally, Australia and New Zealand are great rivals on the sporting field. New Zealand, you know, you're among a kind of young generation of players that are coming up and, and really exciting prospects for New Zealand. Where would you, and Australia's maybe regressing a little bit at the moment, where would you see kind of the, you know, the all-whites be the Socceroos right now? If they were to play a match, would you consider yourselves favourites or, or, you know, where, where would the balance be? 100% we're favourites, but... Um... Look, I mean, like you said, there's a lot of good players coming out of both countries, but I, I think, yeah, definitely out of New Zealand, the way I look at it, the, the boys are getting more minutes and they're, and they're playing at a good level. And even when you do look at some of the Australian boys, but you have Dane Ingham, for example, who's Kiwi, so um, he's doing really well as well. Um, but no, I'm really excited about what's happening with our national team, you know, I think... Um, it's a, it's a really exciting time and, and with all the players that are coming through and, and making their marks, you know, I really think we can, um, we can show the way and, and show how um, we want to play football in New Zealand. And, um, yeah, I mean, feel free to, to organise a game against us and then, and then we'll be there. So, and then we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm really happy with, with what's happening in, in New Zealand for sure. Confident young lad, isn't he, Gaddy? How yeah. about that? Already putting himself as a favourite against Australia. Wouldn't it be good to, you know, resurrect Australia v New Zealand Test Series or something? I mean, I reckon it would be a great series, yeah. The key was it got some fantastic players. Kakache just impressed me so oh. much. He's just such a brilliant young young player. Unfortunately, he's going to be lost to the A-League, isn't he, by the end of this season, I, I would think. But, you know, they've got so many... Good players. What about someone like Chris Wood, who just scores goals over in the in the, in the EPL? So, oh, I reckon it'd be a fantastic con contest, and I reckon it'd be a big uh, crowd puller as well. Yeah, it certainly would. Couldn't agree more. And well done uh, getting to chat to Sarpreet Singh there, Stolich. Uh, nice work. Always good to touch base with uh, A-League players doing well abroad. And by far, you'd have to say that uh, no one's doing better than Sarpreet, given that he is with Bayern Munich as it stands. Of course, we have our, our own Aussies uh, scattered around the Premier League as well. But, um, you know, it's incredible that he's at a club like Bayern. So we wish him all the very best with the club. As we look to wrap up the show, um, I want to talk about this. We'll end on your beloved Mariners, uh, <laughs> Gaddy, in there. Yeah result for their final game of the season. Uh, it was a real thriller, this contest between both them and the victory. 3-2, the final score. Um, the question that we're posing, though, is Ruiz Diaz the real deal? Uh, and we talk about outstanding youngsters. He's been fabulous, but I wish we could have seen more of him throughout the season. Gaddy? 
Yeah, he is the real deal. After what he did the other night, two very, very well taken taken goals. He's got a lot of um, up this kid. Um, I think he's go, going places and, you know, hopefully uh, next season he'll get much, much more game time. I'd love to see him, you know, st- starting games because uh, he's, he's got a lot of improvement left in him and uh, he's certainly an exciting prospect and it was great to see. What was your overall view of the game? I mean, it was an important one yeah. for the Mariners, obviously not because they were playing for anything other than pride in, in some respect to try and end the season on a positive note, but how did you see the performance overall? Oh, terrific. Look, I think their form since the break has been has been great. They're um, a bit stiff not to um, get all the points against the, the Wanderers as well. You know, the Wanderers scored in the last minutes to, to seal a draw, but, um, yeah, look, I think Alan Stadges has done it a pretty good job under the circumstances and you know of the season and uh yeah their form uh, since they've been back is great um gives you a little bit of hope for next season obviously uh, we've got to wait and see what happens with the ownership deal but uh they they played some very good football against admittedly a victory side that's you know got a lot of issues at the at the moment but you can only beat what's in front of you and uh, you know they they got the job done and it was great to see how about the great Michael Zappone joining us via Twitter? Zappers, how are you, mate? I'll tell you what, for those of you watching, for any of you that know of Zappers, you'll understand this fully when I say that he's one of the nicest, nicest blokes doing the rounds in the Australian football community. Such a top bloke. He's done a fantastic job with Fox Sports over the years. The only shame is that we can't see more of him. Of course, he's down in Melbourne. Zappers, greetings to you, and we hope that you and your family are doing well down there, mate. And he's written in and said, of course, Gaddy thinks that Ruiz Diaz is the real deal. Mariner through and through. I agree, though. He did very well. Um, let's talk about the victory, though, because for me, they've probably been the greatest disappointment of this season overall, uh, Stolich. And it's it sort of with the benefit of hindsight, doesn't come as that much of a surprise when you consider that they really failed to secure any decent signings to build up a, a you know a strong and a competitive enough team to really compete this season. Uh, you know they've lost the likes of Ola Toivonen, and they lost a whole host of their big name stars once Kevin Musket left. Uh, and you know we've talked about the debacles that have surrounded the coach signings and whether or not he was the appropriate coach to take up the post at such a big club like the victory, uh, Michael Kurtz, that is. But, uh, you know, your view of their season and, and how they pick themselves up going forward. It's been a disaster. And, you know, I echo, echo your sentiments uh, around Zappers and good to see him tuning in. We'll have to get his thoughts on the victory uh, in one of the upcoming shows. Um, but, yeah, they've been an absolute disaster victory this year. And it's a shame because... You know, we always talk about them. They should be the biggest team in the country or one of the biggest teams in the country. And whether it was Kurtz's appointment or, you know, even their recruiting, uh, you know, they've had issues with injuries, whether it be injuries to Rojas, injuries to um, uh, Robbie Cruz, of course. Naboo had issues. So, you know, they've struggled with their recruitment. You know, luck as well hasn't uh, played well for them. You know, the young players coming through, we haven't seen as many as we'd hoped. So it's been a disaster. How do they get it back? Well, First of all, they have to get this coaching appointment right. I think they'd be looking at uh, Ufuk Tale a lot. He, I think he would be a good appointment. Um, mm. You know, they've got to get their recruitment right. And as we, we've been talking, I don't know how many foreigners you're going to be able to get now because of a reduction mm. in the salary cap. So maybe you start having to look at kind of the junior ranks in Victoria and making sure that Melbourne City aren't the only club kind of picking up all those good young players. So, you know, uh, it'd be interesting to see how they go. But, yeah, very, very disappointing season from the victory this year. Mm-hmm. Rafe, yeah. 
Uh, good afternoon to you again, Ray, before we jump over to you, Gaddy. What is going on with the victory head coach position? They'd apparently chosen their man, but negotiations apparently fell through, which is correct. That's what we're hearing that came out of the um, the media reports from Greece. Um, but where do they go to next, Gaddy? We know that Ufuk Tale is someone that has been linked with the club. When I spoke to Ufuk, he said, you know, I'm just focusing on this season and then we'll worry about that later on down the track. Um, and then, of course, John Aloisi too. I know that his name has been banned Oof. about as well. Um, sorry, I'm just it, getting some text messages. <laughs> well, um, it's the victory coach messaging you. <laughs> Is that you, Ufuk Tale? Uh, well, look, I personally think, Gaddy, that it should be Ufuk Tale. I know that, you know, Wellington Phoenix fans will be very upset with me saying that, but I think he's certainly earned his stripes and deserves a gig at a big club like that. But what are your views? Yeah, I'm sure I saw something from Ufi the other day saying that he was committed to Phoenix. Uh, look, we know what the contracts are worth these days. They're worth nothing, aren't they? So, look, he would be an ideal, he would be an ideal fit for... Um, for victory, I'm uh, very impressed with Luffy. What he's what he's done with Phoenix, um, you know, lost those first four games of the season. We all thought, oh, you know, he's going to be in a bit of trouble here, but he he's got them together, playing some great football, and then now they're in the finals. But yeah, it's a situation victory have got to get right. The, the, the next appointment is coach, uh, and they've got to give him time to to develop to there as well, because you know, victory should never ever be out of the top two or three of the A League. Yeah, the the resources they've got, you know, and the the club culture, you know, that they are a top two team every season. You would think so. Uh, vitally important they get this next appointment right. And if it's Sufi Talley, then they're they're probably on the right track. But I think it's got to be local, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think it's, the next coach has to be local, someone who mm-hmm. understands the A League, understands mm-hmm. the you know the victory culture as well. Mm-hmm. Warren Horn, leave Nick's as coach alone. We have been burnt by it all done. Yeah, the poor Nick's fans, they continue to give these Australian coaches chances and great opportunities, mind you, for these first-time A-League coaches. And they, they go on, they create some success or they do really well and then, of course, they, they skip across the pond once again. So, um, Warren, we'll make sure that we pass that message on to <laughs> Fultale and everyone there. Stolich, as we look to wrap up, final comments. Well, I just say it's not only, you know, the Knicks, you know, Postacoglu left Brisbane and all the success he had there to go to Victory. So Victory is just a massive club. And, you know, I think that's always going to be the way in football. When a big offer comes, you know, you've got to strike while the iron's hot. You know, if he loses five games in a row and suddenly everyone goes, I don't know, we don't want him, we want someone else. So, you know, it, it, but, but I think Ray's right. Definitely go for a local because, you know, as we've said before, there's just so many things that is unique about the A-League. And, and we, we see the success of a lot of local coaches. And we love how unique the A-League is. Come on, guys. I've been saying for a few weeks now, we've been hard on it for a long time, haven't we, Gaddy? But it's time to start bringing the love back to the game because, you know, it's our only elite competition that we have. And it's a perfect opportunity to end on this note. Um, you know, and, and, you know, why should we start to, to give the A-League uh, some love again? We need to. And as I, I'll get back to the point I made earlier, we need to get together as a football community. Yeah, you know, let's stop the backbiting. Let's forget about the egos and the self-interest, and you know, let's pull together as a football community and get this game moving. And you know, make sure the A League is, you know, the competition, the good competition that it should be. No, I couldn't agree more. Ray Gat, you are legendary for several reasons, notwithstanding your forty-seven-year career in the in the job that was journalism. Of course, it's such a full-on um, occupation to be a part of. So, hats off to you for the incredible career that you did have. 
It was a real delight for you to be able to join us here on the World Game A-League show. We'd love to have you back down the track as we look towards the final series, which is right around the corner. We're glad that you're enjoying your retirement. After all that time in the business, you certainly deserve it. You're a top bloke. And uh, even when we do disagree, as I said before, you're still all class and an absolute gentleman. So thank you so much for your time, Gaddy. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks, Nick. Uh, very kind words. And I promise you, I won't, I won't disagree with you anymore. Not too often anyway. <laughs> Not no, as often as you think. Not as often as you think. I want to disagree with you as long as it's but, constructive because we all love to have a debate within the game and that's why we love connecting with the fans every Wednesday and Thursday here. Thursdays, of course, are our A-League-specific show and Wednesdays we talk about the, the broader world game narratives doing the round. So make sure you join myself and Nick and a special guest star from 1pm next Wednesday. We also actually have a surprise and outstanding guest that's joining us, don't we, Stolich? It's going to be the great Andy Bernal. Yeah, we're looking forward to having Andy uh, on the show uh, next Wednesday. Uh, if you don't know Andy, uh, he was a former Socceroo. He went and played in Spain, one of the first Australians, I think the first Australian to play in Spain. And, of course, he's also known because he was David Beckham's kind of right-hand man in Madrid when Beckham made the move from Manchester United to Real Madrid in 2003. So plenty of stories uh, from Andy, and we're really looking forward to hearing his thoughts on everything that's happening in Australian football. He's written a great book. He's written a great book from what I believe. Mm, yeah, we're hearing some rumblings. It's going to be quite the spicy one. So we're looking forward to getting our hands on a copy of that. And, of course, every Thursday as you are joining us here today from 1.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time, you can come and chat with myself, Nick, and uh, a series of special guests on our A-League dedicated program. But that is it from us for now, guys. It's been a bumper show. A pleasure to have your company for all of the stories, of course, that we have discussed. You can head to the World Game website to get uh, all the latest news, opinion pieces, and updates from uh, the A-League and beyond, of course. We are covering the World Game here, even though it is coming up to hiatus time and we do have the Champions League coming back so we've still got plenty more to look forward to next week. On behalf of myself, Solich, Ray Gatton, the entire team at the World Game though, it's goodbye for now and we'll see you again next week. Take care.